it's more about like exuding like happy, cool, fun vibes instead of aggressive muscle pumpy vibes. Like, if that, yeah. if that is if that's a term. <laughs> Total and- pumpy vibes. <laughs> yeah, I just you know off the top of my head, you know, like a little testosterone, a little I'm even lift bro vibes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Atonicast. I'm Ed Niedermeyer. I am the communications director at Partners for Automated Vehicle Education and the author of Ludicrous, the Unvarnished Story of Tesla Motors. And boy, is he. And I'm Alex Roy, the director of special operations at Argo AI, whom I do not represent on this show, but I'm also the founder of the Human Driving Association and the producer of Apex, the secret race across America. And I'm Kirsten Korosek, transportation editor over at TechCrunch, here to talk about lots of stuff today. Lots. Yeah, you've, you've been busy over the last week, haven't you? Well, you know, after an 18-month break of not traveling, I just decided to pack it all in in the last two weeks. So that's been fun. Let us hear more from the voice of reason. Kirsten, <laughs> proceed. Yeah, what have you been up to? Yeah. Um. Well, okay. I, I think the three big, like, travel things that I've been up to, actually four, um, but one I haven't um, finished writing about yet. But over the past, like, four weeks, I've been in a couple EVs um, and an AV. So I uh, did a, a short press drive with uh, Polestar and their uh, single and dual motor um, vehicles. They're, they're, like, new variants uh, and that was interesting and impressive. Um, then spent actually three days with Rivian Ooh, on their sort of mostly off road and highway and then some like regular on road um, driving up in Colorado. So I, I love I love Polestar, but like need to and, and you know, we and I have you and I have, have already spoken. I, I pumped you for <laughs> for Rivian details already because I'm fascinated by this truck. But uh, tell tell people about that that experience. Yeah, um, yeah, and also Polestar. Like there, it was a first drive, and I, I actually still need to kind of wrap up some things on that front. But the Rivian one, I can definitely talk about, and I've published an article and also released a video today. And you know, I. Um, I went into this drive kind of setting expectations low and not because I haven't been impressed or watching what Rivian's been doing, but this is a first vehicle. Um, and this, there's a lot of hype around this company. They've filed confidentially to go public. Uh, they've raised like $10.5 billion since just 2019. So I went into it with like, I'm not going to have any expectations because this is the first effort. And I was pleasantly surprised. Um, specifically, like for one, they actually let us drive the vehicle and it wasn't like super orchestrated. I mean, I'm sure it was, but it felt very open. It reminded me of, of many years ago, um, a little bit in terms of access to like engineers and other staff of some Tesla events where they would just be wandering around and you could just kind of like talk to them about things. And, um, and then just the fit and finish of the vehicle, like the materials that they decided to use were very smart. Um, they had all these really lovely hidden, not hidden, but like Easter eggs, but not on a digital side necessarily, more on the hardware side. And it all kind of coalesced and comes together like screen, like they just seem to really know 
who their customer is. Um, is it me? I think it's more me. <laughs> Alex, Alex outdoorsy Roy. Yeah. Is it Edward? I think it's like I think it's like stereotypically. Um, you know, I'm not one to spend. You know that, and this is the the crux is going to be the pricing. I'm not one to spend that much money on a, on a vehicle. However. Like it definitely goes to the Subaru Outback um, owner, 100%. Someone who is maybe not going to take it rock crawling, although we did do that, but going on dirt roads, doing some camp and doing some mountain biking, um, you know, the triathlete, uh, definitely someone who is more, leans more professional, has the money to spend on it. Wears earth tones. Yeah, but there were some nice bright colors. It wasn't like, you know, we weren't dying in a sea of different hues of gray, which was nice. Um, and that was a little bit of Polestar, unfortunately. But, um, you know, there was nice bright colors. And um, and clearly to me is that this vehicle was tested by its employees in real world camping and off-roading situations numerous times. And I'm not talking about what the typical testing is, which is usually hundreds of thousands of miles. Um, Every car company does that. I'm talking about the functionality of like, when I'm driving, I want to do this. Um, Lastly, though, there were a few misses. Could it be what Hannah Elliott pointed out about a few little rough around the edges items? My biggest issue is that I still firmly believe that there is a place for physical knobs and buttons, especially while driving. And the number one request I would make is you got to have a physical way to just move the air air conditioning vent. If you're off-roading or you're on a dirt road in rally mode or you're doing XYZ like on a highway to tap the center screen and then to move the the touch screen to change the vent, and I know that this is, exists in the Tesla, and you can get used to it. I think I think that the customer base they're going after is that is a mis, that is a mismatch. Um, like I just want to change it so the air is not flying on my face. Don't make me take my eyes off the wheel and do this, especially when I'm bouncing around on a you know bumpy rocky dirt road. Like it just it, doesn't make sense. It's it's interesting that that they didn't do that. They didn't have a little bit more of that kind of physical switch gear because it it seems like what they've done otherwise, based on sort of the, some of the other things that you do like about it, is sort of take that Tesla quality of 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 surprise and delight, like little things that you wouldn't necessarily expect and maybe even have to kind of discover a little bit, but doing it in hardware instead of just in software. Um, and I think that like that's a really interesting way that Rivian has you know, move the game forward in certain respects. Maybe it's sort of tied to the fact that they've approached manufacturing and supplier relations a little differently than Tesla. I get the impression anyway, and I think they've tried to be intentional about that, about sort of recognizing what Tesla's done well and, and, and learning from that, but like also, you know, avoiding some of the mistakes maybe that Tesla's made. And um, uh, so that's really interesting. But then, but then, yeah, I think that like that kind of accentuates then, you know, that question of the UI Mm-hmm. Um, you know, are you going to have, are you going to have some, you know, at least some physical dials there? And I, I agree. I think, you know, even, and people make fun of the, the Mach-E, you know, having it's a touchscreen with the, with the one dial. I think it's great. Like just having, even just having one dial. I, I actually really like that one dial. 
Um, what I don't love about the Mustang Mach-E is that what, what a lot of companies have done, they're like, it's an EV. So we're going to put this dial to change the gear selection. I think that that's a little bit of a waste of space. I mean, it's very subjective. It's nothing to like cry about. The one thing I like that Rivian did is that they do have the gear stock normal. This is how you would drive a truck. You do have like a physical windshield wiper. So like they hit it on all these right marks. And then it was like, so I don't know who talked who into to going the route on the AC, but like that's just one where sometimes you have to make really small slight adjustments, adopt, tap into something. It just, I'm, I'm, I'm just not a big believer in that. Um, and again, I know that I can get used to anything. I just don't think it totally aligns with their customer base. Um, but, but that's pretty, that's pretty minor, right? I mean, that's not like a huge. Yeah. Yeah. Thing. I mean, it's not huge. It would be like, I would hope that maybe in future versions, they are future iterations. Maybe they go back to that. I don't know if they will. Um, they made an interesting choice on the UI where they don't have um, a home button, right? Oh, so, really? No, but I think it's actually a good choice. And this is why. Instead of a home button, which it brings you back to this page of where then you select, they just put everything important on the bottom where it lives permanently. So there is no touch to get a home button to then get to where you want to go. It's just there. So HVAC stuff, um, um, driver modes, all of that is like in, in some icons on the bottom. And the other thing they did really well is they actually have, you know, a digital instrument cluster in front on like a Tesla. Um, and it's super, it's like almost too scant. It's like incredibly scant. Um, but delivers the information you need. And I have a feeling that they'll probably add more things on there. And then there are two like toggles on the steering wheel. Um, but I think that like just a few more of those like physical buttons without going overboard would be good. In fact, in the back seat, you can just use the AC vent hmm. physically because obviously you wouldn't be able to touch like you know, the front screen. So, so that was, those are just like a couple of minor things. Um, the big trick now I think is like, sweet. Now you've got to produce enough and deliver it well and deliver that customer service. And so they've, they've, they've hit this first, uh, milestone, super important, like the car people, people really liked it. Um, and, uh, so far, but now comes actually maybe even the harder part. <laughs> yeah. So, and Kirsten, so, and, and maybe not everyone who's listening to the show knows that, you know, Kirsten and, and I too, like we both spend a lot of our time outdoors and, and just doing stuff out in, in nature. And, and Kirsten in particular is uh, uh, pretty hardcore about her, her outdoorsiness. And um, so I just wanted to ask, I mean, like, is it like, forgetting the price and, 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 you know, other details like that for the moment, like, could you see, I mean, is this something that you could see like fitting with your lifestyle, like getting you the places you want to go? You mentioned rock, uh, rock crawling, which in reality, most people don't do unless they're going out of their way to do it. Right. Um, but just in terms of like the capability and like how it feels off road. And, and I mean, I, I'm really, I think the idea of an electric off roader is really compelling just in terms of being able to drive yeah. out in nature silently. So like, yeah. just tell, tell us about like 
that that part of of the experience. Yeah, I mean, I think that like if if you were to look at what I do or what we do and how we access those places, and you know, for our listeners, like I, um, people always laugh. They're like, "Oh, you write so much about vehicles. Like, how many cars do you have?" And I'm like, "Well, not counting the two uh, Alex Roy vehicles that sat in my driveway for a collective three years." You want another one? I got another one. I got. I, I'll take it. Um, because I do so many press drives and I travel so much and I also get um, press cars sent to me, we have one car. It's a 2010 Subaru Outback <laughs> and we have like seven bikes and I'm testing an e-bike right now. So my, we, and we made that decision to do that. Um, although we might be getting an old sports car um, our way here shortly. So it totally meets our the way we drive our vehicle, which is we want it to be able to get us. It has the range to get us where we want to go, um, like in and around outside of Tucson, going rock climbing, uh, lots of dirt roads, can cruise up mountain pass, like no problem. Um, I could see that it can throw all of your gear in there. Um, it you know pairs with your phone very easily. Um, I wasn't able to test the Rivian app. So that's like a big miss that I didn't get to do. Uh, but all that other stuff. Why and why did you not test it? They, 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 it wasn't available yet. I mean, they just launched it. So, um, you know, usually on first drives, as you know, Alex, they generally don't get that kind of time and access. Usually that's when you get that one week. We also didn't get a chance to charge. So there's some big questions. Um, like, I'm not going to say like, oh my God, everyone just like buy this thing. Like, I, I still want to test some incredible aspects. Incredible. But it's so incredible. It's fair. Well, it definitely, it definitely matches my lifestyle. I could absolutely see, you know, not thinking about price or anything like that. Sure. 100%. They have this great gear guard thing, which I think is done smartly. Um, where you can tether like a gear or bike, whatever, directly to the vehicle, but then it launches like the software, which is it's deploying and using all the cameras around it. And then, um, you know, recording if someone, if someone comes up and tries to tamper with it, the next step, which they hadn't done yet is, well, do you deliver that message to your app? And, oh no, it just goes right now to the center screen. Okay. Well, that might be something that (laughs) you might want to think about. Um, and I would assume that they're probably working on something like that because people will want that. They'll want to be alerted. Oh. So, um, so it seemed to me that when we went to I guess, CES years ago and experienced Z-Bite in life. Z-Bite in uh, life. That yeah. It was defined by uh, unnecessary uh, gadgets. For example, a phone that came with your Byton that fit into the door pocket right where you expected the door handle release to be. What do you think is the Rivian life defined by? Oh, the Rivian life is definitely defined by um, this sort of idea of outdoor adventure, like very clearly, whether or not people actually do outdoor adventures, they are tapping into the person who believes they are the outdoor adventure person. So I absolutely, and this is kind of where I think it's smart. They made a midsize truck. If they had made a giant truck with this capability, they would miss a huge market of people who just 
want to feel outdoorsy and feel adventury. And yeah, sure. Maybe they run in an occasional 5k, maybe they like trail running or maybe they have dogs, but they're not like rock crawling and going on like 300 mile, like crazy, you know, adventures on that. So if they had gone way too big, they would have, I don't think appealed to that market. So I think that this vehicle will mostly be used in town or driving up a mountain pass up to a ski town and daily driving, but is absolutely capable of like throwing your bikes in the back and going camping. And so it hits that demographic nicely. I, yeah, I, I think when I think of Rivian, I think of like Bend, Oregon, which is like oh, yeah. not a big town, but like lots of Californians and stuff. And like, it's one of those places where it, there's a lot of cool outdoorsy stuff around it, like within like an hour drive around it. But like all of those places, unless you're there first thing in the morning are just jammed with like luxury SUVs. And like, that's kind of like, people are very outdoorsy, but they kind of don't go more than an hour away, right. you know, for the most part. Right. And, and otherwise they like kind of live in suburban developments and stuff. Um, and so, yeah, I think, I think you're right. Like that, that that's where the real meat of the market is, is people who are more like outdoorsy in terms of what they post on Instagram and like For how sure. they think of their personal brand or whatever. Um, because I think, you know, ultimately if you do, and like, you know, I'm, I'm a little, you know, you do the specific rock climbing and, and things like that. Like we, we tend to do a lot of trips in our, in our Tacoma that, that are just like long rambly, like explorations of various places. And like, I feel like as much as I love the Rivian in, in a lot of ways, I love the fact that it's a truck that just isn't like, doesn't seem like it's spraying testosterone out of every orifice. Like it just, it's kind of restrained and, and, and subtle almost in a way, which it's, is, it's a, it's a happier, it's, it's, it's a happier, like it, ex, it, it's more about like exuding like happy, cool, fun vibes instead of aggressive, like muscle pumpy vibes. Like if that, yeah. if that is, if that's a term. <laughs> Totally. And, pumpy vibes. Yeah, I just, you know, off the top of my head, you know, like a little testosterone, a little even lift bro vibes. Yeah, exactly. Not so yeah. much CrossFit as, you know, like beach cruiser. Um, right. It, and, so, and the colors uh, reflect that, um, you know, th- the size of the vehicle reflects that how they and, and, you know, like as Alex loves to say, Instagrammable, like it's a very Instagrammable vehicle too. Well, cause we need to talk about the, the, the kitchen cause yeah. that's, that is amazing. But I just want to, to finish my thought. Like I, I, it's not a knock on Rivian that like, I think, I feel like the way I use my truck for the most part, like, or at least some of the main ways that I use it, like, I don't think any electric vehicle yet can really do that because they're just, it's a, it's a, a very difficult charging infrastructure problem because by definition, if you're, if you're using that vehicle to get away from people, then the charging infrastructure needs to be where people aren't, you know, and that that's hard to justify financially. And so I, I feel like for certain kinds of use cases, like it's going to be hard for, for any EV. It's not a knock on, on Rivian. But yeah. I mean, infrastructure, infrastructure is, is a tiny. problem and infrastructure is a problem in a way that even if, when it does exist, it's oftentimes incredibly shitty. Yeah. So, you know, Rivian does have a plan. I think it's like 12,000. Um, I, I don't know if it's, I'm assuming it's ports that they're talking about and not actual stations because um, that would be insane. But, um, you know, they have this, I think, again, in their figuring out who their demographic that they're going for and just 100% like just throwing everything at it. 
they have these waypoints. Think of it like the destination charger. But instead of being at like a, a fancy hotel, which is where like the Tesla ones initially were, these are at like state parks. And if you're and they're free if you're, you know, a Rivian owner, but they are compatible with other vehicles. So, you know, I I need I, I'm not quite sure. I need to double check like whether it's just software blocked, but like basically it's not a um it's on like public lands, right? So it's like in the California or the Colorado State Parks. I'm sure they're going to roll it out to national parks. They're rolling it out like the beginning and of some of the more famous off-roading sections, like drives around. Um, I, I think I just saw a video of the vehicle going through Hell's Gate. So I'm assuming that there's going to be a um, charger there. So these waypoint, and then they'll, then they're going to also build out the like, you know, highway fast chargers. And then they've also partnered with so far, and it shows up in the UI on their navigation when you're looking for chargers, uh, charge point for sure, electrify American, I think EV go. And I, and I, and I was told that they want to add even more. Right. So, um, you know, they're trying to address that, but it, it's not a problem that's going to go away. Every automaker is going to have to deal with that. And yeah, you're right. When you, you want to ramble along you're not going to find necessarily a charger. Um, and I told this to them about a year ago when I was interviewing RJ, the CEO, about um, their their adventure network and, and that. And I said, well, listen, like I just, you know, a couple months ago drove from Tucson up to Wisconsin and we always take, we, we don't take the main highways. And guess what I saw? I saw 1 million F-150s. I saw zero Teslas. I only saw the Teslas when I got on the main freeway right around Chicago. And that is because there's no charging infrastructure around there. And it's also not totally the demographic, but um, it just doesn't exist. But look, if you if you have like a little cabin somewhere um, that somehow has enough power where you can put in a, a, a charger or just a vacation home, you know, and you can put a charger there and then you get 300, 400 miles, you know, around. Do you there. have a little cabin? I do not, unfortunately. With, with charger. Uh, I do not. I've Airbnb'd little cabins in the Charger. Um, actually, when I had the Mustang Mach E, and it was awesome. We were just down in the redwoods, and, and we would just charge up every morning and go out and 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 go hiking. And um, and I feel like the Rivian. It does. I mean, there's no doubt about it. Like five paying five thousand dollars for any option on a new car is like one of those things that when you just hear it, at least for me, uh, you're like, okay, that I guess that's a thing you could do. Um, but the reality is, is that like that that kitchen is going to be basically the money that, that, that it's basically Rivian has gotten people to pay for something that will ultimately be the best marketing tool that Rivian has. In other words, people are going to pay $5,000 to be able to go out into the woods, make some like gorgeous meal, like record it for their YouTube channel, like put it on their Instagram account, like just lifestyle the shit out of this. Oh, I mean, they even have like little string lights that come with the package. I mean, it's a lot of brilliant sort of thought towards how people are going to use it and uh, taking photos and all that. And I would also like $5,000 sounds like a lot. And actually, eventually it's going to mean another $1,500 because you have to get that shuttle that it attaches on right, right now. I think it's included. Um, but let's not forget that we live in a society right now in which people are spending no, no joke, more than a hundred thousand dollars to outfit a van. Yeah. So 
here is something that you can remove from your vehicle. You can use it as a daily driver. And then when you go out into the woods or whatever, like this is your option. Like the other option is what spending 40 grand on a 40 Conaline and then converting it. I mean, that's, that's for me, that's not something I can do. So, you know, for, for the folks who kind of want both, they want that just one vehicle. I think it kind of hits that. Although yes, five grand for camp. Like I have a Coleman stove. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's funny that everyone's going to wish they ordered that thing. Cause everyone's going to, who has one of these things, if anyone walks up to them anywhere and says, Oh, do you have the, the stove? You're yeah. going to want to say yes. Well, here, Alex, you know, I think that you've been a little silent now because you're not necessarily the camping demographic, but. But I am the Rivian demographic. (laughs) Is it fancy enough for you? Like, does it meet your lifestyle needs? Oh, absolutely. I am absolutely the kind of person who buys such a vehicle who will never take it camping ever. Ever. Alex Alex may be indoorsy, but he's all about stunting on social but media. But I would absolutely <laughs> never wash it ever so as to accumulate the patina of outdoor use. Um, but the, I feel about the Rivian the way I felt about the Morgan three-wheeler and every Morgan. Who cares if it works or not? Unless it literally catches fire and explodes curbside. And even then, it's okay. I love it. I love it because it is a product that stands alone in its niche. And what it does versus what an F-150 Lightning do, completely different. One's a work truck. The other is very much not for work. And I love them both. Uh, and, and good for them. Good for them for building this. Great, great job. And it, look, it looks exactly as it should. Like, I wouldn't change a thing. You, you, you want to talk about the knobs? Nobody's working in that thing. Nobody, <laughs> nobody cares. It's, if you're going to do work, you get it on well, get it the Ford F-150. That's what you buy it. Um, sure, sure. Anyway, so that's fine. And then the charging network, good for them. Good for them. Now, can we talk about the sister, the yin to the yang of Rivian? Can we talk about Lucid? Sure. Yeah, because you were at the Lucid factory, right? Yeah. I was Person. at the Lucid factory and I did get a tour. Um, you know, as these things go, they, you know, you run, you spend several hours, but it, you go through pretty quickly. And um, everyone got like one, one drive, although I, got, I convinced them to give me one more, um, where we basically did a loop from the factory out onto a frontage road, onto the freeway for a bit, did a turnaround and came back. So it was about, uh, you know, 20 minute, 24 minutes each time. Um, so I was able to, uh, try the assist, but it was, you know, brief, got to play around with it a little bit, do some, you know, nice launches, go through the different modes, drive modes, um, and then just, just generally get a feeling for the vehicle, like what it felt like. Um, and uh, Abigail Bassa was also there um, uh, like her. on behalf of TechCrunch. And she, um, her story should be out actually now, if it's not out, yeah, it'll be out by the time this episode airs, just on that experience and kind of breaking things down. Um, there was a lot to like about it. Um it was a very short drive, not nearly the amount of time that I had in the Rivian. I estimated that my total time in the Rivian was about 260 miles um, over three days. Um, this was very different. But what stood out to me was um, clearly they made a big case for why they set up the factory that they did. It feels on one side where they have this state-of-the-art sort of 
paint, the paint factory, it, they also have a, a general assembly there. Um, so they have two lines right now in a way. Um, and the final, I guess the final assembly is also happening there, but it's a very temporary, um, it can move basically. Um, and they spent a lot of time hammering that home. Um, that this was a decision because of CapEx and this is a way to make the most of the space. And as we expand, because this is their phase one of build. Um, and, and on the face of it, it seems smart. Um, but I guess we have to see if they're able to keep up with the volume. Just tell us about the Are car. They, well, hang on, on just a sec. No, 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 no. Wait, well, wait, wait. Well, Ed likes manufacturing talk. I do. Are they using the the AGV, the little autonomous yeah. vehicles that that carry the body from yes. station to station? Yeah. yeah. So that so and first saw that at on the Magical Mystery Plant tour in uh, at Toyota City. And it's it's really cool because it is super, super flexible. And yeah. it's one of those manufacturing techniques that I think is probably like pretty crucial to allowing these smaller volume startups, you know, with, with big plans to kind of go ahead and, 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 and jump in because, you know, it's not like a traditional manufacturing line where once you just put everything in place, it's there. And like, you have to do an entire retool, um, which is like a huge thing, like, like the, the flex plant, the Toyota one, like, I can't remember exactly now it's been years, but like they could basically do major reconfigurations to the line like add a new, I think they could add a new vehicle to the line within 24 hours or so, something crazy like that. And like mm -hmm. that level of flexibility, people don't understand what a big deal that is. And and I think it's really critical in like allowing these startups like Rivian, Lucid. I know Rivian uses some of that technique as well. So yeah, and I haven't seen the Rivian factory, and I hope to um, soon. You know, at some future date. Uh, so especially because I just you know walk through the Lucid factory. You know, it's always interesting to see what you can do with like a greenfield and, uh, you know, site as and Rivian's is not right. I mean, it's and so I, I can't wait to compare the two, even though they're two very different vehicles, just what their approaches are to it. Um, and so there was a lot of time spent talking about that, um, those decisions, and I think trying to make sure people didn't misinterpret it or whatever. Um, and, you know, I think it's going to come down to what, the, how good their quality control is. So, well, tell us, what do you think of their quality control? I mean, so from what I could tell, uh, for one, they clearly have an amazing sort of paint facility because the finished quality from the exteriors is really quite nice. Interestingly, I thought that their decision to with the trunk is really interesting. I'm not sure I love it. It has a ton of space, but when you look at it, and if you if you there is a picture on um, the article that that we have posted, but you know from below from the trunk comes up and it's you know includes the license. It's like feels like a hatch, in a way. So you kind of have to bend down and like slide it in. And so it's like actually quite large, but it's like this whole, it's like the, you know, the license plates like all the way down, which is interesting. Also, there is, um, if I remember correctly, the, um, to lightweight it, to lightweight the vehicle um, is, I believe, plastic um, bumper part. Um, which looks like metal and, and, um, they use almost all aluminum. 
Like there's literally like maybe 10 parts on the entire vehicle, including like maybe the belt buckles that are steel. And, and the end result is a very light um, feeling vehicle. It still plants well because of the battery and it's a heavy vehicle, but it, it like components of it feel light. It drove super nice, uh, very smooth. I thought in terms of acceleration, the regen and the pedal map was really good. Um, I, I was, it, that can be difficult to get correct. Is there one standard regen mode or two? Or there are two. Many? And, and, but, um, so we, I, I met, uh, their sort of, um, senior, I think her titles like senior dynamics engineer or something. And, you know, one thing she described to me during, during my drive is, um, you know, when you go through the three different modes, which is uh, smooth, swift, and sprint are the mode names. If you hold and press on the touch screen, it pops up. You can change the regen from high to standard. But even if you don't do that, just by changing the modes, of course, the suspension, the steering, and the even the regen changes slightly um, depending on the driving mode that you want. So, you know, as you can imagine, the sprint is going to be a very different experience than the smooth, which is like the equivalent of an eco mode. How did you feel about the ride quality, like comfort, suspension? I thought the ride quality was good, although it isn't like there. I don't think that there is an air suspension. What? Hmm. Um, which I thought was interesting. And um, I didn't. It wasn't loud in there, but it, it the quietest EV I've ever been in is the Porsche Taycan. It's it's a little it's it's not as quiet as as that vehicle for sure. Okay, but we, we you got to answer or at least try to answer the question that everyone wants answered. Is it better than a Tesla? Why oh. why or why not would you would you take one over a Model S? Um, I do think that they're the way they've decided to do their infotainment system um, is quite lovely, um, and there is. Absolutely. In terms of like materials, fit and finish and things like that. This is clearly a luxury vehicle. This is not a premium vehicle. This is a luxury vehicle. And their choices around that reflect that. Um, The drivability, the performance and all that stands up. Again, with the caveat, this is a very short drive. Um, And it felt like I was entering into a, a luxury vehicle, but it didn't have um, like it wasn't purposely flashy. So, um, much more like it has some in- interior lighting, for example, at night that lights up kind of reminiscent of what we've seen in, um, the Mercedes sometimes like the Maybach and like some of those it, but instead of like more neon colors, these are like just incredibly muted, like very like sort of sub- subdued luxury, um, I think that's what they're going for. And, and I do think that they were able to pull that off. Um, and there's some really unique characteristics in the vehicle that I think make it stand out and that people are going to like, but I wouldn't even compare it to like the S I mean, it's, it's kind of, it's kind of difficult to do that. Yeah. So it's, it's, uh, basically it's, it's someone who feels that maybe Tesla for whatever reason. And, and it's interesting. There's been some stories about this, about, about people who, you know, have kind of like been Tesla fans, but kind of been turned off by 
some of the antics, uh, you know, what uh, do you mean, Ed? particularly of the CEO. Um, and, and so, you know, positioning a vehicle, first of all, as being more luxurious is interesting, but then also as more sort of mature and, and understated and, and subtle, um, well, especially as Tesla kind of be, tends to be, like seems to be kind of going in a more extreme direction with things like the Cybertruck and the divisive right. things like the yoke and, and things like that. Um, that's an interesting move. Well, you know, I think that what I found most interesting was that throughout the factory tour and like my interview with uh, Peter Rawlinson and like others, they kept like mentioning the quote unquote competition. They were not talking about Tesla though. They were hmm. talking about Mercedes. Yeah. Um, they, they were giving nods to like, or maybe other, other EV, you know, makers, but, um, that weren't Tesla. They were, they were purposely trying not to talk about Tesla at all. But when they were talking about competition, like Peter Rollinson is very, like, he's like, we're going after the the S-class market. So whether or not that is true that they don't see Tesla as competition. I think that they should because it's an established EV um, manufacturer with you know tens of thousands of vehicles sold, right? So I think that they need to be thinking of them as competition. I just thought it was I was it was curious to me that clearly they were you know talking they they were they're trying to put themselves in, in competition with Mercedes as opposed to Tesla. And yeah. is there an Electrify America like uh, credit the way like the Porsche Taycan does? You buy one? Uh, yes, I believe so. And I would uh, don't quote me on the number, but it, it, it is one of those things where it's like several years, maybe even three years of like free charging um, through Electrify America. Um, they also, you know, to me, actually, what was most interesting was um, how miniaturized the drivetrain is. It's like mm. very small. Um, and that was really interesting to just see that up close. And, um, you know, I think that that technology that like allows it to have the range that it does is what makes it so impressive. And did they, has have they revealed how big the battery pack is in that car? Uh, I, I don't think that they have, but I don't have the number right on the top of my head. I can only... Cram so many facts in my head, Alex. <laughs> what I love about that car is that it already has some kind of LiDAR integration. And, I, and I, it does not appear that it's being used yet. No, but- and I think that they're going to be revealing that here in the next couple of weeks. They were promoing this Dream Drive event coming up October 12th, um, which I'll be you know, reporting on. And um, yeah, they didn't disclose the LiDAR. Uh, maker and here's an interesting fun fact. I was going to write about it. Um, I might still do so, but um, yeah, the, the lidar integration they have not disclosed who the lidar manufacturer is. Um, it's integrated in the front. It has I want to say 120 degree, you know, viewpoint. And no, I don't think that that it's being used yet. So they were talking about how they have to get like there's different certifications is typical for. Um, any automotive, you know, anyone who wants to sell cars, like the EPA, then there's the self-certification with MB, FMVSS. Um, what? FMVSS. Yes. FMVSS. Thank you. And uh, then, you know, they're like, and the FDA. And I was like, okay, that's weird. Um, 
And it's not really like FDA approval in the sense of like approving a drug, but because there's a LIDAR in the vehicle, the manufacturer of the LIDAR has to certify, send in, like basically send in a report with the specs of this to the FDA. And it has to meet like legal requirements before it can be, you know, used in any kind of vehicle. So any AV company also has to do this, but I just think it's interesting. Is it the FCC or the FDA? It's, it's the FDA. Is it? Okay. Interesting. FDA is radio frequencies. Yeah. So they also have to do with the FCC. So the FDA is light. Right. FDA is lasers and, and then there's FCC. So I thought that that was just interesting. Not so much that like they had to get this like crazy approval, like you would think of for like a vaccine or something, but that future vehicles, passenger vehicles, as more of them uh, have LIDAR. So we have like the EQS has LIDAR and um, Volvo will have LIDAR, Luminar LIDAR next year the end of next year, that there are these like all these additional certifications that now need to be had. And it just reflects the changing automotive industry. My, my favorite part of it is that any anytime someone says, oh, well, you know, LiDAR can't be integrated into like a, a car you'd want to buy. You just look at a loose and be like, there it is. There it yeah. is. Well, and yeah, I, I, I actually think it's, I'm very curious to see, because I mean, Lucid has talked about like, limited level four even like they like a lot of people they've been cagey and and it yeah get the sense they're just kind of feeling it out and and honestly i think like right now we're in such an interesting moment with all this with like you know all of this new reporting rules you know with any kind of ADAS or ads related uh crash uh it looks very much as if the the regulators are are moving to kind of like you know crack down on some of the maybe driver monitoring or who knows like the they're the Regulators are much more engaged. I mean, we just had um, NTSB chief on talking about that, Jennifer Homendy, um, on our last episode. And uh, it's got to be hard for them to be like, you know, what do you do here? Do you try and like do the Tesla thing? And because that's, you know, the autopilot full self-drive. I mean, it, they're just objectively doing well in the marketplace. But then also they kind of have the sort of the regulatory sort of Damocles hanging over their head that could literally come down at any moment. So do you do you try and preemptively differentiate from them in certain ways? I assume they have driver monitoring. Well, they do. That was my question. They do. So so here's I think um, you're right that um, basically every company that I talk to these days I feel like is cagey about like what their plans are and they oftentimes like mix up terminology. Um, you know, like it's not that they don't know the difference, but they're like a little too casual. Um, with Lucid, yes, they have um, a, a a camera. Um, I don't think it's in use yet because. Um, and I, let me clarify. It, you know, we need we should double check that. They also have both a pressure and uh, torque sensor in the steering wheel. Can you tell us about the pressure sensor? More. I don't know much about it, but 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 I will say that um, I don't know if you know this, but the the person who's in ahead of the ADAS department is a gentleman named um, Dr. Eugene Lee, and he was at uh, Hyundai before. He was like head of their autonomous development center. Um, he also was um, like on the R and D side of General Motors, and when I spoke to him, it was like basically kind of told to me that he was part of the development of Super Cruise. So um, 
Well, that's a good sign. So that kind of shows you the direction that they're going. And I think we'll learn more in a couple of weeks. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, I think that there is this weird, I mean, their, their feeling is to go after level three. And I had a long conversation actually with Dr. Lee about like, well, isn't that kind of a risk to do that? Like, how are you actually going to do that? Um, so we'll see how, how they do that. Yeah. I, it's gonna, I'm, I'll be watching that with, with some interest. Yeah, for sure. Um, but yeah, uh, well, I, I, don't have like I have not been on the uh, the amazing tour of factories and vehicles that that you have, but um, I know I you guys get- should both get back into journalism so we can see each other at press drives and stuff again. Because I'd like to. I mean, look, I think it's just being bad form for me to be out there riding around in vehicles, and then uh, you know people be like, "Well, you know, Ford VW have invested in the company that's your day job." And I don't want to, it's like, I just don't want to be, that's why I listen to you. Mm. (laughs) I have you. I mean, people, so, but people listen to the Atonicast. If if you want us to talk about your, your vehicle on the, on this show, (laughs) invite us to your events. Uh, (laughs) um, Well, I I mean, it just wouldn't be, I mean, I feel like I've been talking nonstop for the last 45 minutes. So, you know, it'd be, you know, and I know that typically the episodes are the opposite of that, where you both are mostly speaking. So. (laughs) It's fine. Well, well I went to the micro mobility conference and I didn't see either of you fools there. So no, that's true. Oh. I'd like it, to go, but people felt that my remarks a few years ago were a little controversial. Oh, really? Yeah. Wasn't that the point though? Isn't that why people invite Alex Roy to things? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I'm domesticated. Tell us about that event, Edward. <laughs> I, you know, I, I have to say, I kind of love that event. I, part of a big part of it is just the venue is great. This is Micromobility America. Um, it's at it's in Richmond, which you always tell people Richmond, California. Um, and you tell people that, and like people from the Bay Area are all, uh, especially like Richmond, really. But it, it's it's uh, right on the water on the bay. It's part of the old Kaiser shipyards from World War II. It's a Henry Kahn factory building, actually. Or I'm sorry, Albert Kahn uh, uh, factory building. Super super cool same, place. This is the same place it was. Before two COVID. years ago, yeah. Two years ago, yeah. yeah. So, so this is the second one. They didn't have one last year because of COVID. This is the second one, and it's great because it's a an assembly room. You can just open up all the windows, and like people are mostly outside anyway. It was bright and sunny. It was beautiful, and like it's just very casual and just kind of like you know, there's no rooms. It's all just like one big open space. And um, so I, I moderated a really interesting conversation um, about just sort of the the COVID era you know, boom and micromobility and then, you know, the supply chain challenges and things like that. But um, to me, what was really interesting about it, and, and I know Kirsten, you, I spoke a bit with one of your colleagues um, about this and, and published it in your uh, excellent newsletter, The Station uh, by TechCrunch. And, uh, it, but basically, you know, the, the fact that there was two years, conferences, one of the best things about conferences, if you go sort of regularly, you, you start to see how the space is evolving. Two years ago, it was like peak like year of the scooter hype, right? Mm-hmm. Like it was like when scooters were just exploding everywhere and like micromobility was super hot. And like at the time it was a fun conference, but like it had a very like VC bubble vibe. Like it was like all of these, you know, founders and wannabe founders with their prototypes, you know, made, made in their garage in a lot of cases and just like looking for money, people with money looking to invest. Like it just had this very certain, like, you know, hyper growth and all this kind of stuff. And then of course the, the, you know, the, the scooter bubble has run into that, that shared scooter thing has run into a lot of challenges, but micromobility has evolved a lot. 
And it was really interesting to see now like much more, there were a lot more um, folks from cities. There were, there was programming specifically aimed at sort of the public sector. And, and it was really sort of like getting away from like, you know, scooters or, or e-bikes or, or any of these kinds of micro mobility things are going to be this like explosive disruptive thing. And more about like micro mobility is this kind of broader philosophy of using the right trip, uh, using the right tool for, for each trip essentially. And, and that, you know, sort of trying to talk to people in the public sector more. And like, even like, like Andrew Yang was the keynote speaker, which, or it was like a keynote fireside kind of thing, which like kind of shows that, that the space is really, it's maturing in certain ways. Um, and that was really interesting to see. Um, so were there more, was it leaning more towards e-bikes this time around too? Yeah. Yeah. I would say so. I mean, scooters, I feel, it feels a lot like scooters have matured quite a bit. I mean, obviously the, the shared scooter companies have made a ton of progress. Um, and Alex, I actually talked to, uh, Johnny, a buddy of yours, uh, from bird, uh, about his work on, uh, on, on the bird three and, and stuff and it, fascinating stuff. Um, got to nerd out on some manufacturing stuff with him. Uh, and, and so I feel like there's been tons and tons of progress on like, okay, we can make scooters shareable essentially, or like, like they can hold up to shared duty, but like, there's not a huge private market um, evolving or like private ownership market evolving for uh, for those stand up scooters. And like, there's not even a ton of like the innovation, quote unquote, like the new form factors in that stand up scooter um, thing. Like, well, how much innovation could you possibly do? It's, it's well, exactly. Like- so like there's the three wheeled ones and with the leaning and this and that. And it's like some of that stuff is cool. But like the reality is, is, yeah, like the stand up scooter is we know what works. It's a mature thing. And and a lot of the work to, again, did make you, it work. Did you see um, because this is one thing that one of my reporters was writing about um, recently is sort of like this trend towards um, because of pressure from cities and because, because of um, sort of pushback more ADAS kind of type tech going into the vehicle or into the scooters. Um, you know, like Drover, which yeah. Alex yeah. was there, wasn't he? He was. Yeah. Alex was there. Uh, uh, ben Bear, who we've had on the show to talk about some of this stuff um, was there as well. And yeah. And so that's, that's exactly, that's a great example of the kind of thing, right? Where, so these companies are, it's not just about, you know, there's only so much they can do to make the, the writing experience better for that, for that user. Um, but like a lot of their headaches are on the, the, you know, city relations, you know, municipal relations side. And, and so you are seeing things like cameras and, and, and better connectivity and, and, and just more tools that kind of allow, you know, first of all, just like keeping scooters off of sidewalks. Um, you know, as we talked about in, in that episode with Alex and, um, so, so yeah. And that's kind of what I mean about maturity. Like, I think as an end user, you know, you're not seeing huge changes in, in the experience of using multi, uh, micromobility, it's more that, you know, ultimately cities are becoming almost more of the customer uh, in terms of incorporating micromobility into infrastructure um, and uh, uh, integrating it with existing public transit and, and things like that. Um, and so I think that's when it gets really interesting because, you know, as consumers, we like to focus on the vehicle that we might own or whatever. But the reality is, is I think the big theme of a lot of quote unquote, mobility technology or mobility innovation or whatever you want to call it is going from thinking of like a vehicle as the standalone thing to, to really understanding that in fact, this is part of a broader system. And like, that's going to be different for 
like an autonomous vehicle or in micromobility or in anything else. But, the, but, the, but all of these things are evolving more towards us having to think about them as part of a, a broader system. And, and that's just fascinating to watch. Uh, did you see the movie uh, The Tomorrow War? No. I don't know that Ter- I have. It's a terrible movie. Yeah, it's it's, it sounds like a terrible movie. It's terrible. It's like if you ripped off The Edge of Tomorrow with Tom Cruise, which is a great movie, and you removed the humor and the intelligence and the directing and the plot, and you just took it all out, and you moved to, it to Miami, and it's in the future. You know, It doesn't matter. It's time travels, aliens, is fighting. But in the opening scene of the movie, um, the human art forces are dr- airdropped into flaming Miami and uh, it's, it's a massacre. And then they get down to the street and it's like the year 2050. And the first cars you see look like Priuses with a massive LIDAR and camera stack on the roof and the traffic is all backed up. And I'm like, you know, really? That's the future we want, right? Like, that's 29, that's what, that's 31, it's a, Whatever it's a lot of years, years from now. It's a lot of years, and uh, and nothing's improved because of this thing that you just pointed out. Uh, you know what I would like to see, like an amazing, like if they remade the Italian job, Italian job for now, would be they show up with a trio of electric minis, and then after the heist, they open the trunks, and they each have a uh, a different form of micro mobility, and they tow the gold and like the bonds down, like through traffic, and police cars can't catch them. That sounds great, and then you know what? It doesn't even have to be an electric mini because it could just be the Honda E. It could be what it could be, whatever. Uh, It's just if only they would would sell it in the United States. I have I have a beef with every single automaker that refuses to sell cool cars in the United States. I understand that it's like the homogulation is expensive, but the fact would you say homogulation? Is that correct? Right? Homologation. Let me. I always mispronounce it. You know. Let me Atano correct you. Yes, please. (laughs) Please correct me. I'll explain um, it. No, I always mess up that word. Uh, we all know what it means. But cars like the Honda E or let's say, I don't know, the vans that Volkswagen, like the California, that just will not come to the United States is just to me a huge missed opportunity. So there, that's it. That's my rant. It's yeah, not everybody rant. wants it's like a an electric van of who who doesn't like we need to wrap this up soon my friends but can i just shout out the two of you you're gonna shout at us let me give you let me give you props and maybe some to myself the the jennifer hemendi atonicast episode appears to be one of the most popular we've ever done and uh, accomplished a, a lot I, on, and i'm glad that this we do this show because i think people need to be talking about things real safety in a real way like a tangible way so popular because um popular how do you define popular like traffic uh it's in the zeitgeist and it made a lot of people angry which is a good thing a lot of people angry yeah a lot of people angry and and i'm proud of us because we got through this whole episode without talking about the button or the safety score or we're gonna number of other issues which yeah we have i have a i have an idea and that's a great idea i'm gonna make a phone call to the very famous CEO of a very famous company, it's pretty big, in the video gaming space, who uh, makes one of the world's most popular driving games, who knows more about gamifying driving and gating of vehicle capabilities uh, and drivers than anyone alive. And it ain't Elon Musk, and I'm going to make a call once we hang up here. I think he should come on and talk about how one would safely gamify driving. Oh, that'd be great. Yeah, and we've that's got the move. 
We got a number of, of I think, some potentially fascinating guests that, that we've agreed to, to pursue. So um, continue to tune in here and you never know what you'll hear on the next episode of the Atonicast.